Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Or better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in Northwest San Antonio. I was at uh, Best Buy, it was a couple of years ago, for whatever reason, it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I had to go and pick up a cord or something, and I, and I found myself at the Best Buy, and I walked in, and what struck me as I, as I prepared to walk through the doors was a couple of different things. The first one was they had riot barricades up. It looked like the embassy in Baghdad. It was those kind of riot barriers. I mean, the, the only thing that they didn't have were like armed guards there. The other thing that I saw were, were these, these two guys it was Wednesday, and they had set their tent up. They were going, th their plan was they were going to camp out Wednesday night, all day Thursday, and then Thursday night. They were going to be in the field on Thanksgiving eating cold hamburgers so they could get whatever was on offer as the doorbuster when they came through the door in the morning. And, and the, the crazy thing, so I've been in the field on, on Thanksgiving. Like I've, been, I've done that when I was in the Marine Corps. I was in the field on Thanksgiving. And I can remember feeling uh, abused and feeling violated because I, was, I, I wasn't with my family. I can remember grumbling and being mad and eating cold turkey and just being mad about it. These guys were super stoked. Like, they were incredibly excited about missing Thanksgiving and sitting in the cold for two days waiting for Black Friday. These guys were keyed up in a word they were expecting. There was a desire there that whatever was coming was worth the pain of waiting. This Sunday, as we celebrate the second Sunday of Advent, I want us to feel that expectancy. I, I want us to, to, to delve deep into our souls and find that spirit of expectancy as we prepare to celebrate something that is so much more amazing than an Xbox that's 15% off. Something that is so much more life-changing than a free TV. See, brothers and sisters, we should live our lives with the expectation of the coming of Christ. Our passage this morning is from the book of Matthew. And it's a little bit odd, I know, at Christmas time to be reading passages about the apocalypse. But I, I hope by the time we're done you understand why this is as much a Christmas verse as any of the ones that we normally read. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As we read that, we need to understand one very important, very critical point when we talk about the coming of the day of the Lord. And that is, Nobody knows when it's going to be. Let me say that again. No one knows when it's going to be. I don't care what somebody told you. They don't know. God does not intend for anyone to know the hour of Christ's return. 
God hasn't revealed the hour or the day to Jesus or the angels or anyone else. This, this is part of the, the mystery of the incarnation. We were talking about it this morning in Sunday school, that Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. Right? He has all of the attributes of the Godhead within him. And yet when he came to earth, he took on our humanity. The book of Philippians says that he emptied himself and took on our nature. And so these elements of the divine, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his ability to know everything, be everywhere and see everything, he set those aside. The, the analogy that I, that I like to use when we talk about this is I wrestle with my son Andy a lot. And, and when I wrestle with him, I don't use all of my ability. Right now, he's getting older and he's getting stronger, so I have to do that less and less. And at some point, I'm going to go full out and he's going to beat me and it's going to be really, it's going to be one of those interesting days. But we're not quite there yet. But Jesus did that. He set aside the fullness of his deity so that he could live life as one of us. He walked from place to place. He became hungry. He became sad. He was fully human. And so he did not know when the end was coming. He knew from Scripture that the end would come, but he didn't know when it would be. God has not opened his mind even to Christ about the coming of the day. And, and I want to be very clear here, he hasn't opened his mind to anyone else either. So if a televangelist tells you that he knows when the end time is, he's either lying or wrong. I don't care how cool his diagram is. He doesn't know. Pat Robertson doesn't know. The two guys that wrote the Left Behind books don't know. And Hal Lindsey, the guy who wrote the late, great Planet Earth, that guy definitely doesn't know because he's been wrong like eight times. Okay? We don't know. None of the prophets received the date. God didn't give the date to Nostradamus. He also didn't give the date to the guy who carved the Mayan calendar. Nobody knows. And that's for a very important reason. Right? He didn't reveal the date in Scripture. There is no secret code in the book of Daniel that will tell you when the apocalypse is coming. Doesn't exist. He doesn't want you to know. The only one who knows for sure is God, and he's not telling anyone. Because the date isn't important. It's not important that you know when Christ is going to return. Because it shouldn't change anything. I want you to think about that for a second. What would you do if you knew? You can't change it. It's not like you're going to be like, whoa, God, I'm not really not good with Tuesday, December the 22nd, 2045. It's really not a good date for me. If you could just maybe bring it a little bit closer, maybe push it off a little bit. No, you can't change it. Would you warn or convert people because you're afraid that it's going to come? You should be doing that anyway. Who are you not telling that you would tell if the apocalypse was tomorrow? Here's a secret. You should go ahead and tell them. 
Often we're like the little kids sitting in the back of the car on a long journey, and we just keep asking the question, are we there yet? Is it, is it now? Is it, is it happened yet? What, what about now? Are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it annoying yet? Are we there yet? We're not there yet. But it will happen. What else do we know about Christ's return? Well, we know that it's going to be that nobody knows, but we know that it's going to be sudden. Right? Christ says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. I'm not a huge fan of the movie Noah with Russell Crowe, but there are some elements of it that are incredibly powerful. And one of them is an image of this ark floating in this stormy sea with a pile of people scrambling on top of each other to get out of the rising water. The secret is that several days before that, these people were living normal lives. See, the day of the Lord coming will be sudden and it will be catastrophic. Jesus is telling the disciples that the coming of the day of the Lord will disrupt everyday activity. He describes people living their normal life. He says two women will be grinding, one will be taken and the other one will stay. People wrapped up in everyday activities will be caught off guard because they had no concern for spiritual realities because God wasn't present or mattered to them. Noah and his family went about their lives for literally years trying to live their lives in the light of the coming apocalypse and everyone around them thought that they were crazy. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives in the expectation that Christ will return. And when we do that, it's going to make us weird. It's going to make us different. People are going to think that we're strange. People are going to ask us weird questions. And that's okay. See, the coming of Christ will be sudden and it will be decisive. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one will be left. Two women will be grinding with hand mill. One will be taken and the other one will left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day the Lord will come. See, the coming of the day of the Lord will separate eternally those who are saved and those who are not. The verb that's used is parl ambano, and it has two major interpretations. To take into close association. So there's the idea that God is going to take those people to himself. This is the way that Joseph uh, takes Jesus and Mary and escapes to Egypt. It's the way that is used to describe how Peter ta Jesus takes Peter and James up to the mountaintop. 
right? It's a reference to the way that God is going to take us into himself. He's going to take us with him. But it can also be translated as to gain control of, receive jurisdiction of, God will take the world. This world that has been out of control, this world that has been literally groaning in the pains of childbirth, in rebellion against the God that created it, that world will be taken by God under his dominion. Jesus, who the last time was on earth was when he was beaten and broken, will return as a mighty warrior with a sword coming from his mouth and a rod to tread out the wrath of God's judgment. God will come and he'll take control. He will be decisive. The righteous will be saved. The wicked will be taken. There's a lot of debate about what this means. Some have postulated that there will be a secret rapture where where all of the elect in Christ will be taken away. Others have said, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be at the end, and, and there's all kinds of different things, and I don't want to get into that. What I want to remind you, what I want to make very clear is that Christ is very clear. This is going to be a public, open thing. We will be living our lives, and a trumpet will blow. It'll all be over. Everything will stop. Everything that we've invested our lives in, everything we've built our lives around, everything that we thought mattered will change. Christ will come publicly and everything will change. Christ will separate the sheep from the goats. Families will be broken apart as believing wives and unbelieving husbands are separated. Believing children will leave behind their unbelieving parents. People who have worked together for years will see each other as they truly are. Lifelong friends will look at each other from opposite sides of a vast and unbridgeable chasm. That is what the day of the Lord brings. The time for deciding will be over. The coming of Christ will be sudden and decisive. And the time to prepare will be done. This is the anticipation that we live in. We celebrate Advent preparing to celebrate Christmas. But Jesus doesn't come as a baby anymore. When we prepare to celebrate the coming of Christ, what we're really doing is we're preparing for the end of time when Christ comes. We celebrate Advent as a way to remind ourselves that this is fleeting. That this life is a vapor. It's here today and it is gone tomorrow. But what does that mean for us? It means that we are to live our lives in readiness for the coming of Christ. Jesus ends his passage with two parables. 
Jesus wants his disciples to be vigilant. He wants them to be on their garden. So he tells them, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief would come, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. See, the disciples of Christ, those who follow him, are meant to be on their guard and on watch all the time. There's never a moment when we get to let our our guard down. There's never a moment when we get to sit back and rest on our laurels. We are called to play to the very end. There's a um, we we watched a movie on Friday night uh, called Miracle, and I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. It's a little bit older, but it's a great movie. It's about the 1980 United States men's Olympic hockey team. And it's about their uh, upsetting win over the reigning world champion Russian hockey team. And and there's this moment, and it's, you know, it's a typical sports movie, you know. But but there's this moment where the coach is talking to them and he's saying, look, we may not win. We shouldn't win. But we're not going to stop playing until the last bell rings. We are going to leave everything out there on the ice. And when you leave this place, you will leave with no regrets. Brothers and sisters, that's what Christ is calling his disciples to do. To live their lives with no regrets. To play until the very end of the game in the expectation that Christ will return He wants his followers to be vigilant, but he also wants them to be diligent, right? They're supposed to live and to wait, but they're also to live their lives in a particular way. He says, who then is faithful and wise? Whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time. The idea here is a steward whose master has gone away. He's saying, you want to make, you want to take care and do your job. Like the master's going to come back at any time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour, he is not aware And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is telling his disciples to be ready and expectant for the redemption of the world, but he also wants to be faithful stewards of what he has given them to do while they're here. They've been given a mission, and it is a difficult and it is a demanding mission. He doesn't want them to sit back in their homes and in their cloisters and to kind of wait out the clock to watch to see when it's done. He wants them to press the attack until the very end, to push until it's all over. They're to go into the nations and make disciples of all men. He's also giving them a warning. He's saying, don't get caught victimizing the people around you because you think that I'm not watching. 
Don't get caught neglecting the poor. Don't get caught wasting the precious moments of your life. Drunk, sleeping around, investing your life in things that don't matter. Brothers and sisters, we are disciples of Christ and we are meant to live our lives in the expectation that Christ will return. This Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time that we remember the fact that God's people had been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah to come and when he came, they missed him. It's the time that we allow that reality to shape us so that we don't miss him. So that we're ready when he knocks at the door. So that we're ready to be used by him. We should not allow ourselves to get caught up, brothers and sisters, in the hysteria that, accompany, that accompanies the talk of the apocalypse. Right? That's so easy to take that as the focus, right? We, there's so many things that have happened, right? In the 1300s, the Roman Catholic Church was divided and there were two and sometimes three competing popes, each of whom the other groups were certain was the Antichrist. In the 1600s, an anonymous pamphleteer noted that if you omitted one of the L's from the title Rex Oliver, Lord Protector, then the letters of the Puritan dictator of England, Oliver Cromwell's name, equaled 666, indicating that he was obviously the Antichrist. I mean, it only stands to reason. Another author demonstrated that if you take the numerical values of Napoleon's name written in Arabic, it almost equals 666. Obviously, he was the Antichrist. An English historian noted that the number of members in the parliament equaled 666 if you added in some clerks and the doorkeepers. Obviously, parliament is the Antichrist. Recently, this guy named John Pruitt argued that JFK was the Antichrist and that he would be resurrected from the dead to rule the world, assisted by Henry Kissinger and the Vatican. And here's why. In 1956, JFK received 666 votes during the Democratic National Convention. Now, I would argue most of those guys were probably dead, but... And he was shot in the head, just like the beast in Revelation. Obviously, he's the Antichrist. Finally, if you take the Roman numeral for six, which is VI, and add it to the Greek numeral for six, which is S, and the Babylonian letter that corresponds to six, which might have been A, you have categorical, unrefutable proof that Visa is the Antichrist. Now, that's probably the most accurate one. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, no one knows. No one knows the day and no one knows the hour. God didn't tell us and he didn't tell us for a reason. We prepare for the coming of Christ by acknowledging that the world will come to an end and that that's a good thing. 
So often we look at the end times and we think that, oh, this is a terrible thing. How do we keep it from happening? All the movies that ever talk about the end times, like, how can we prevent this from happening? No, no, no. We want the world to end. We, we acknowledge that this is a dark place. We, we want creation to be restored to its rightful place, glorifying God for eternity. If you don't want that to happen, you need to ask yourself why. Is it because this world is so comfortable and so nice that you would rather have Starbucks, iPads, iPods, Androids, all of these things, you'd rather have them than the Lord Jesus Christ living and reigning for eternity? We prepare for the coming of Christ, understanding that each of us is going to encounter our own apocalypse, one way or the other. I need you to hear me. The end will come for each of us. It may come with a trumpet sound, being caught up into the heavens and watching the earth split in half. Or it may come when you leave this parking lot and you get hit by a truck. It may come tonight as you sleep in bed when a heart attack takes you. Each of us will someday die and when we do, it will be all over for us anyway. We will close our eyes in death and we will wake up to the sound of the trumpet in our ears calling us to our judgment. It may be years away or it may be your next breath, but each of us is going to face that reality. And brothers and sisters, we have to live in the light of that reality that this is all vapor. You need to make sure that you are prepared for that reality. You need to do what Christ has told us to do. Brothers and sisters, if you're saved, it means you need to live your life like you're saved. It doesn't mean that you prayed a prayer 30 years ago and you've been good and the rest of your life can be lived for you. I want you to understand this. This doesn't mean that we're working our way into heaven, but this does mean that our lives need to reflect the realities of the fact that we have been saved by somebody who now owns us. This isn't work-based salvation. It's loving Christ. This is what Jesus said. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Not work-based salvation. It's living out the meaning of true religion. This is why James said, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unpolluted from the world. That's what true religion is. It's not work-based salvation. It's working out our faith in fear and trembling, understanding that there are many who think that they are saved and are not. There's many people who have fooled themselves 
into believing the reality of something that does not exist. The bitter truth is not everyone who says that they are a Christian will be saved on judgment day. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Brothers and sisters, don't be that guy. Take the time now and prepare yourself for it. Search your life. Ask yourself, am I exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit? Take this time of Advent as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, not as a time to go out and buy presents, not as a time to live out the excesses that the world tells us are part of Christmas. Take this time as we approach Christmas to look into yourself and ask yourself hard questions. Look to Jesus to shine that mirror in your face that strips away all the artifice and all the lies and reveals who you truly are. Brothers and sisters, some of you, there is no ambiguity. You live your lives as enemies of Christ. You don't acknowledge him as Lord. You don't accept him as Savior. You may not even believe that he exists. I'm begging you today. Do not take another moment Trusting that you'll get another. We live our lives balanced on a razor's edge. And in a moment, it could all be gone. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I would ask that if you have never made a profession of faith in Christ, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, take this moment. And do it. So, some of you don't know how. Some of you, it's confusing or you're not sure. Come forward. We have some deacons that would love to sit down and pray with you and talk to you. But the answer is very simple. If you believe in your heart, and you accept with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you turn from your sins in repentance you'll be saved. And when that trumpet sounds and when the world is broken, you will open your eyes to see your Savior looking down on you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the reward that I have prepared for you. This is what we're in expectation for. This is what Advent leads to. Not Christmas Day, but Judgment Day. Please pray with me. Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.